Welcome to the Poker Punks Podcast. This is episode nine. Here comes the sun run. In this session, I was playing 1-3, and it was at Parks Casino, which is my local room. And this was a session where I ran unbelievably well. I ran like God. I couldn't miss. And this isn't a podcast for me to come here and brag about these hands that I won. It's really a cautionary tale about being on the other side of these hands, where you have someone at your table who is sun running, running like God, hitting everything, and how to play against that and to not overplay your hands and get sucked into big pots where you're second best. So, without further ado, let's get to some hands. For this first hand, we're pretty new to this table. We had just done a table change. We've been running good all night, and we have a massive stack going to this table. We cover everyone at the table. And for this hand, the main villain, we are $670 effective, and we cover him. Uh, we are under the gun, so we decide to straddle in this hand. It's maybe the second hand at this table. I might have had one hand before this, or this might be the first hand that I came into this table. I'm not 100% sure. I didn't put it in a note. Anyway, we have king of hearts, nine of hearts. It folds around to the small blind who completes and the big blind completes also. But I'm not going to let them get away with just a limp call here of the straddle, which is only $6. So I decide to put in the squeeze and make it 31. I'm assuming that they're both going to fold and I'm going to get a free $12. To my surprise, the small blind ends up calling and the big blind ends up folding. So we're going heads up to a flop with $68 in the pot. I really have no image on this guy. I've never played with him before. Have no idea what he is limp calling a squeeze with. But we are going to see. We go to a flop of eight of clubs, jack of hearts, two of diamonds. Small blind checks to me. And since this is, you know, there's no capping this guy. He could have anything because he's crazy enough to call to limp call with out of position. I make it $40 thinking that this should get the job done and the small blind ends up calling. When he check calls here, I have to give him credit for at least something. I'm thinking, okay, he hit a jack, I'm done. Or maybe he hit an eight, still done. An eight still beats my no pair. So when it goes to a turn card with $148 in the pot, I am fully expecting to just you know, have him check. I'll check behind. We'll get to a river. He'll bet. I'll fold if I don't improve. Anyway, we do get a little bit of improvement on the turn when it comes to Ace of Hearts. When the small blind checks to me again, I could go for a second barrel here, but there's a couple things working against me. For one, I did pick up some equity. Uh, now I have a nut flush draw. So I wouldn't want to bet here and have this guy raise me off of my equity and just get pushed off the pot. So that's one thing that I had going in my head. The other thing is that recreational players have a hard time folding an ace, even when they miss the board. So there's a very good chance that this guy could have some sort of ace X hand. And when we bet, he's just going to call or even worse, he's going to raise. So instead of overinflating a pot even more with no pair, I decided to take the passive route and just check back and try and realize my equity on the river. 
That river ends up being a good one for us. It is the two of hearts. I say a good one because I think, oh, great. I made my flush. I have the nut flush. Let's try and get some money in this pot. And at that point, when I am thinking this, the villain immediately snap leads out for $100. He has roughly 500 behind. And as I start thinking about what kind of raise I can get a call from here, it dawns on me that this two of hearts actually paired the board. So then I take a step back in my thinking, and I start thinking, hmm, he could have all the sets in his range. A lot of recreational players are so afraid of jacks, they won't you know, raise them preflop, they won't three-bet them. Pocket eights, I probably would just, you know, call and maybe try and see a flop cheaply with a pair of eights or even a pair of twos. Uh, Now, the fact that he did call the squeeze play, I should discount twos, but I really can't because I have no read on this guy. And some guys just don't like being pushed around and they will, if they put a dollar in, they'll put a hundred in. So when I start thinking about this, I start thinking, what are worse hands that can call me? Maybe a lower flush. There's possibility there's king x of hearts queen x of hearts i don't know if he would go as slow as jack x of hearts but the other things that are going to call me are eights full jacks full and quads so without having any kind of read on this player for all i know he could have eight deuce and been trapping with two pair and i don't want to walk into that trap so all of that in play the fact that i've been running pretty well and i'm up a bunch I just decided to stick in the call and try and just make it an easy night for myself. I don't want to get into a huge pot. I definitely don't want to get raised off of nut flush here. So I just call and the villain triumphantly tables the 10 of clubs and the two of spades. He thinks he's good. And I just turn over my flush and scoop the pot and put a little mental note in my mind of, hey, this guy is kind of a nut. He, A, called 10-deuce offsuit to a squeeze, B, called bottom pair on the flop, and C, let out on a flush flushing card here and really had no you know, concern that I could have jacks full, eights full, any of that. So him overplaying this pot is something that I keep in my mind because this is exactly the type of player that I want to target when I flop big or make a big hand because he will put a lot of money in the pot with second best. And that's exactly what we want. This second hand that I'm going to go over, it comes maybe an orbit later and it is against the same villain as last hand. At this point, he is about 500 effective. We are on the button, and we look down at king of diamonds, jack of clubs. Under the gun, middle position, low jack, cut off, all call. When it gets to me on the button, I am not going to put in a small raise here. I'm making sure that I try and clean out some of this field. So normally, if it's first to me, I might make it 15 Depending on the game, I might bump that to 20 at some point if the game's really got a lot of sticky players in it. So here I start within my head the 15 and I add a little bit for each caller. So I settle on $25 as a raise. And the low jack and the cutoff are the only callers. 
The thing to remember here is you want to make sure you get pots heads up, maybe three ways at best. When you're going four ways or more, it is almost impossible to push people off hands. You're really going to have to flop well or make a made hand at some point to win these pots. And when you have an inflated pot with several people in it, it's going to be even harder to push them out of marginal hands because they're just going to keep hoping for that card that's going to make them the best hand, even if it's a long shot. So I like to target uh, 15 to 20 as my standard open raise at 1-3, depending on the table. And I can even make that go up to 25 if it's a particularly sticky table where even $20 is getting called four ways. So here we sat settled for 25. I think 30 would have been a good option too, but the thing you have to balance is getting the max value for your raise and the right amount of callers to get the most pots available to you. Anyway, we go to a flop here and that flop smashes us. It is the nine of hearts, 10 of diamonds, queen of clubs. When the both players check to me, I bet out for $45 here because since they both called pre-flop a fairly substantial raise for this game, I have to give them credit for having something. So my hope is either they have some sort of flush draw, some sort of worse straight draw, maybe two pair or a set. I don't care what they have as long as they call because at this point I have the nuts. And when I bet out the 45 comes around, Lojack then raises to $145. Lojack is the same villain from the last hand who overplayed the 10 deuce. So when the cutoff folds, I start to go into the tank to think, should I just call and trap here or should I just four bet jam and get it all in here? Now, a lot of players would try and just call and trap here. The problem with that is if another heart comes off, if an ace comes off, these are a lot of scare cards that could slow the action down. At this point, I know I have the nuts. I have someone check raising into me and he only has another $250, $350 left behind. So the odds are he's going to call off a jam here. So fast playing here is definitely something that will work in your favor because he's already signaling he thinks he's the best in this pot. So by jamming, you're going to be able to get him to call off with second best. So that's what we do. We four bet jam here and he does not think about it and instantly calls. So we are heads up all in with 1,035 in the pot. The turn is the five of diamonds, which is a complete brick. And then the five of spades rolls off on the river. And I'm thinking, oh crap, he sucked out on us because my thought was that he must've flopped a set and thought that he was best. Fortunately for us, he again thinks he is running great and he delightfully turns over the nine of diamonds and the 10 of hearts for flop bottom two. And I'm just like, great. I have the nuts then because I have a straight, uh, not really the nuts, but I had the nuts on the flop and turn over my straight and his elated look immediately turns to chagrin when he realizes that he overplayed his hand yet again trying to create these big pots with good hands, but very vulnerable hands. Uh, if I had had, say, 
a set of queens here, he would have been drawing essentially dead to running quads. So when you are the person who is flopping a, a hand like bottom two against a flush and a, a straightening board, you really have to play these hands with a bit of caution. If I was in his shoes, well, first of all, I wouldn't be playing nine ten off to a limp, but if you did for some reason, you would want to play this cautiously and you'd probably want to fast play it. You would want to lead out with a bet, maybe $20 here. And if you get check raised, then you can reevaluate because yes, you have two pair, but you have the bottom two pair and you have to try and think of what are the hands that my opponent could have here that would make sense that he would have logically called preflop to whatever raise or whatever action there was. So the fact that he's calling a hand like 9-10 off suit to a $25 raise when he has $3 in the pot tells you a lot about his level of poker expertise. Anyway, we were able to scoop this one. We were able to stack him. He got up right after this. The whole table was hoping he would come back because obviously he was the mark at the table. Unfortunately for us, he didn't. And from talking to some of the other players at the table, he had bought in a couple times, would run it up a stack, donk it off, run it back up again, donk it off, and was overplaying a lot of hands and mostly getting lucky to run it up because he was overplaying hands that he shouldn't have. And then when he would overplay hands that he shouldn't have in the wrong spots, he was getting uh, taken advantage of or, well, stacked off. So we were fortunate enough to be the beneficiaries of his terrible plays here and we move on to the next one for this last hand we are in middle position and we look down at pocket fives five of hearts five of clubs under the gun makes it fifteen dollars to go and this one's kind of a borderline whether we should just pitch it or try and set mine. Uh, we have to have some sort of respect for an under the gun raise. We have to think it is maybe a higher pair than ours, or at least two overstars. Obviously, since we have fives, I don't think he's going to be making an under the gun raise with something like three, four suited. Anyway, we decide to put in the call, obviously, because I wouldn't be talking about this hand otherwise. The hijack also calls, and then it gets around to the big blind who three bets to $45. Under the gun now folds, which I kind of found surprising that this big blind raise is not that big with a $15 open and two callers behind, and I was really expecting him to call. Uh, we've been running good, so we're up piles, and we decide to take a stab at this one and we call the 45. The big blind has about 410 effective and we cover him by a lot. And the hijack had probably, ah, he had maybe like 800 behind and we were hoping for him to call. And that way, if we flop a set, we can hopefully get both their stacks in. Uh, the hijack does call and we are off to a flop with $154 in the pot. Now, I know that this is a borderline set mining operation, but with it only being another $30 to call, we already have 15 in. Uh, we have to assume that we're getting about three and a half to one in direct pot odds, but 
our implied odds could be as much, you know, more like 16 to one because we're either going to flop a set and fast play it, or we are going to completely miss and just fold out to any aggression. Uh, this is assuming that the big blind is going to stack off, which might not always happen, but we decide to try and ride the sun run and go with it anyway. Well, the sun run did continue because the flop comes off five of spades, queen of spades, seven of diamonds. So when we see this flop, we start thinking, okay, how do we get A, at least the big blind stack in, and B, how do we get both stacks in here? Because there's a very good chance that we are the best hand here. Well, I don't have to think for very long on how to get the villain stack in because he open ships it for $365. And when it comes to me, then I start thinking, what's my best course of action here? Do I re-raise and isolate or do I just call and try and get the hijack in this pot as well? So here's my thoughts on that. If I re-raise here, I am only getting called by sets of queens and sets of sevens, maybe queen seven, but why in the world would he be in there with queen seven? I mean, I have seen things like that happen, just like crazy dudes who are like, oh, queen seven of hearts is my favorite hand, so that's why I called to a three bet. But it's really unlikely. The most likely hands that we would be against here would be pocket queens, pocket sevens, or some sort of strong flush draw like ace X or king of spades. Uh, like I said, hijack had about 800 behind, and I'd really like to try and get in there with him. Uh, and I think the best way to do that would be just to put in the flat call. Because, like I said, if I raise, I'm only getting called by better hands. And then I'm going to be stacking off another $800 and not being ahead. So we make the call. Um, I guess to my chagrin, the hijack ends up folding pretty quickly. I would have liked for him to think about it for a bit and then maybe call. But... I'm fine with the fold too, because then that really confirms that I know that I have the best hand. And when the hijack folds, the big blind immediately turns over pocket aces. He has the ace of hearts, ace of spades. I mean, I'm sorry, the ace of hearts and the ace of diamonds. So he does not have the backdoor flush draw. And he looks pretty happy with himself thinking, oh, I got you to call off and I have aces. Well, he looks pretty happy with himself until I show my hand, which is bottom set. So we are all in for $835 here. The turn is the jack of hearts, total brick. The river is the three of diamonds, another brick. And the board comes out clean for us, and we scoop yet again another really big pot. Uh, this villain also decides to just get up and cut his losses for the night instead of going and rebuying and coming back. Another one that we wish would have gotten back on the table with us because obviously he is fairly clueless in just open shipping here. This is a play that you'll see by a lot of rec players because when they see a uh, four flush out there, they just crap their pants. They're just like, oh my God, there's definitely one of these guys has a flush draw and I have to push that flush draw out of there. And while that might work if someone has ace X or king X of spades or even any two spades, because if they're that bad that they're um, getting in there with, you know, 
seven eight of spades well seven eight spades isn't bad but like seven four of spades or jack deuce of spades they're going to call off a lot of times anyway so yeah if you open ship you might get a call by like a crazy spade draw but what's going to happen most of the time is you're going to scare away your potential equity you're going to scare away a lot of dollars that you could have gotten by just playing it normal if this guy would have bet say 40 50 even 60 dollars even up to like a hundred dollars he's going to get calls by hands like ace queen um you know jack ten of spades he's going to get calls by you know king jack of you know like there's so many hands he could get value from but by open shipping he is just trying to say a pot's big enough already i'll take that pot when in actuality, what you want to be doing and the way to make your maximum win rate is to get worse hands to keep calling your bets. So by trying to push people out of pots with a good strong hand like pocket aces, you're only going to lower your own win rate. You're only hurting yourself in the long run. And the fact of the matter is, yes, poker is not a game of absolutes. Unless you flop a royal flush then someone could always suck out on you. But you want to know your possibility of winning the pot, say, is 80%. So eight out of 10 times you're going to win this pot and maybe two out of 10 times you're going to lose it. But when you win eight of them, you're winning a lot more money than the ones you're losing. With this strategy of open shipping, you're going to win small pots and lose big pots, which is the opposite of what you want because that's how you do not increase your win rate. That's how you increase your loss rate because you're winning a small amount when you win and you're losing a massive amount when you lose. So you're better off just fast playing your hand, but with a normal bet size. And if I play back at him, which on this type of boards, I may very well check race him, or not check raise him, but raise him when he bets on the flop to protect my set against the draws and to get more out of him. Odds are, you know, this type of player is going to stack off either way with aces, but in this situation, he did it for himself. I was the beneficiary and it was a great night for me. Thank you for checking out Poker Punk's podcast, episode nine. Here comes the sun run. Uh, this was a great session for me, obviously. I ended up for this session up $1,900, which is massive in a $500 cap game. Uh, I was in for $500, out for $2,400. And it was just one of those sessions where you wish, why can't all of them be like this? Um, you know, like I had in the last podcast, they're the opposite sometimes, so you take them when you can. Uh, again, thanks for checking it out. If you like what you're hearing, leave me some uh, ratings, reviews on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're getting this podcast. They really help the podcast a lot to get out to a wider audience. Also, if you have any uh, hand submissions you'd like to submit for uh, you know me to cover on the podcast in how I might have played the hand either the same as you, different than you, my opinion on it. You could do that at pokerpunks.com. Go to the hand submission section and you can submit a hand. If I happen to use your hand on the podcast, I will send you a Poker Punks card protector, which you can see in the merch store at pokerpunks.com. 
Also, if you just have any kind of general comments, questions, whatever, you can always email me at pokerpunks at gmail.com. Uh, I'm always open to suggestions on making the podcast better, and I really appreciate uh, some of the feedback that I've been getting from the community, um, especially uh, the one gentleman, I believe his name's John from Twitter, who emailed me about the audio levels and the music versus the the talking, and I hopefully fixed that for you guys. Uh, it was just an issue of when I listen back, a lot of times I listen back to the raw data files and they may not be the same level as what it happens when it renders. So hopefully that's better for you going forward. And again, thanks to him for sending me that uh, bit of criticism so that I could fix it and make the podcast better. Anyway, please, any suggestions, reach out uh, poker, at PokerPunks on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, I have a Facebook page there that I post to sometimes. So, um, you know, I really want to make this an interactive community where you know, we are able to bounce ideas off of each other, bounce hands off of each other, see how we can further exploit the small stake streets.